0: Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest weekly podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host each week and have this enormous privilege of hosting two podcasts for Franklin Covey, one of which now is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. It's taped every Tuesday and Friday, about 15 feet over there on a different set called On Leadership with Scott Miller, where each week we interview thought leaders, business titans, best-selling authors, experts on leadership, video and audio, in the hopes that we can as the world's most trusted leadership firm, invest twice weekly now in your own leadership skills. From the success of the On Leadership with Scott Miller podcast, we launched about two years ago this new podcast called C-Suite Conversations, again, with Scott Miller. I've been in the firm coming on 28 years and I'm honored that Franklin Covey continues to offer me the privilege of interviewing and pollinating, populating, these amazing conversations with thought leaders and members of the C-Suite each week. Each Thursday, this podcast airs, and today, we're honored to be interviewing the executive chairman of a household name organization, Discount Tires. His name is Michael Zyback, and he's the executive chairman, longtime leader inside the company, joining us from his office outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Michael, welcome to C-Suite Conversations.
1: It's good to be here with you.
0: Michael, so appreciate that with the responsibility of helping that organization run and lead close to, I think, 1,100 retail locations around the nation. You got a few things on your plate so that you would carve out time to talk with us about your own leadership journey is enormously helpful. You served as the CEO, now you are the executive chairman would you take a few minutes and for that last soul on the planet that hasn't yet purchased their set of tires or snow tires like me with three cars? That means three summer tires and three winter sets of tires. Talk a bit about the legacy and mission of Discount Tires.
1: Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for your business. Um, secondly, yeah, Discount Tire, it's it's unique. Uh, we were founded in, in 1960 uh, by our founder, Bruce Holly, and uh, from uh, early on, Uh, he created the mission for our company of making dreams come true. It has nothing to do with selling tires. Selling tires just happens to be the means in which we're able to help uh, people's uh, dreams come true, whether that's uh, our employees or the people that we serve every day.
0: Michael, you are a family-owned business. You happen to be in the family. Your uh, mother is married to the founder, and you served a long stint as the CEO, and now, as I mentioned, the executive chairman. Would you rewind a little bit to your pre Discount Tire careers career? Let our listeners and viewers kind of reorient to what was your journey before Discount Tire, and then, if you would, maybe kind of reconstruct your career inside the organization.
1: Sure, uh, I'd be happy to. Yeah, I, I started uh, in uh, the finance. I graduated with. Uh, um, a degree in finance and marketing and got my master's in international finance and my dream was to live and work overseas so uh i uh, applied to, for jobs that would eventually get me there and i started off uh, with sarah lee corporation in chicago yeah. uh in their treasury group and uh was responsible for the americas except for the u.s and uh handled uh their uh all their treasury related operations and then uh about five years later, uh, ended up uh, joining uh, Johnson Controls uh, out of Milwaukee, a wonderful company, and uh, ended up with them uh, moving to Singapore and uh, handling all of their uh, treasury and finance, and and then uh, supporting their M and A operations in Asia, and uh, and then that's when uh, our founder Bruce started uh, asking if I would come and, and join Discount Tire. We had our first. Child, my wife and I uh, in Singapore, and and uh, they kept on having to come over to Singapore to see uh, my their granddaughter. And I think at that point they said, "Well, they don't want to keep doing that." And and, and the job offer started coming. And uh, after a while of convincing, I I accepted uh, the position, uh, a position at Discount Tire, and and not knowing it would uh, be the best uh, career decision I ever made in my life.
0: Talk about a bit about the discount tire dream. When I think about selling tires, I think of it superficially as a fairly transactional process, but it's the opposite for you. Your brand has made it a relationship with your customers. You have this phrase called the discount tire dream. Talk to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it gets back to just a very simple golden rule type of stuff, treat others how you want to be treated and all of us in life we we're, we're on a path of um, achieving our, our own individual dreams and uh, there's nothing more rewarding than, than actually helping people achieve that and working together we're a family business so you know as a family you, you want to see your kids achieve their dreams be better than you and, and, uh, and achieve everything that they want to achieve and we've kind of brought that whole philosophy to our business and so, you know, as an organization, we really we focus on helping one another, uh, whether it's the the, the discount tire uh, employees helping one another or the company helping them. Uh, there's just a lot of activities and things that we do, uh, traditions that we have, and support that we provide one another to to bring that to life. And and I and people, uh, I think they really feel it. And uh, and and in our space how that translates to selling tires is that you know we've approached it a little bit differently than than maybe uh most of our our competitors over the years we we know that buying tires is probably not the favorite thing for most people to do it's an expense that uh, that they probably don't want to have and uh they, they probably don't know a lot about tires so you know we decided that that we're going to be um the trusted expert for them to go to to provide them with advice and and to empower them with information to make the best decisions for themselves versus you know trying to sell them something um, that they don't understand so we spend a lot of time uh, building relationship with our customers and then truly understanding their true needs and then uh, sharing our knowledge with them and and you know uh, no pressure just uh, letting them know what we know and then and letting them make the decision then what what they would like to do. And I think they appreciate that. And we're only human. We make mistakes. So one of the things we, we tell all of our people is that, um, uh, if you make a mistake, uh, just do the right thing. And be to do whatever they think that is to, uh, to make things right with our, our customers. So, um, you know, I think that's the Genesis and that's, that's, uh, how we help each other make our dreams come true. And, and, uh, and then also our our customers as well.
0: Michael, the owner of the organization, uh, your your stepfather, has referred to you as having a particular passion about both preserving and growing the discount tire dream. Preserving and growing. I'd like you to speak to all the other C-suite leaders or for that matter, even a team leader, right? Could perhaps be a frontline manager or a mid-level leader. We know that leaders are crucial to cultures and organization. How do you preserve or how do you balance preserving and growing? Obviously preserving legacy, principles, values, and culture with growth, which means change, disruption, sometimes pain. Are those two things at odds with each other? And how do you deal with that in terms of balancing, preserving, and growing?
1: Yeah, I think largely they're not at odds with each other. I think um, that's where a lot of uh, confusion comes. And we spend a lot of time focusing on that because what we are preserving is our values, who we are, we call it, um, what we stand for, uh, the things that that we think about to help us make decisions. And and within our company, we have um, five um, values that we hold dear, and that is, uh, first of all, starting to be honest, uh, work hard, uh, have fun, be grateful, and pay it forward. And from from those five values, we call them the five life lessons. Um, everything else stems uh, uh, from our culture and that is the filter in which we we think about everything um, through through those five values. So that stays the same uh, that does not change. Uh, the business is going to change. Uh, what we do and how we do it is going to change but who we are uh, cannot change. That's what makes us special. So we feel if if we're true to who we are then then we can be successful no matter where the business takes us so we know disruptions coming it's here already the whole world is feeling it uh, with the technology and how fast it's advancing and and changing all businesses so we have to be willing to change how we do things and our customers are also expecting us to not only provide what they're used to but uh, to get better with the times and to learn from our mistakes and grow so uh, you know, we challenge ourselves every day to get better. And we say that, you know, the hardest thing that we do is to work on ourselves, um, to get better. Uh, but it is the most rewarding. And so that, that philosophy and that, that just way of thinking just that permeates, uh, through our company.
0: Michael, I believe it's true that, uh, Discount Tires just recently signed a lead wide, league wide sponsorship with WNBA. Can you tell us how do you go about deciding what your go-to-market strategy is going to be, how you're going to advertise, how you're going to put money into certain sponsorships, why the WNBA, and what does that decision-making process look like as the executive chairman and even in the C-suite with your CEO and I'm sure CMO and others?
1: Yeah, I, I think it, it it relates to a few different things. I mean, we we sponsor NASCAR. We sponsor uh MLS teams. We sponsor uh, college basketball. We sponsor a lot of different um, uh, Teams and organizations Um, But what's important is uh, a couple of things. One is it reaching uh, the customers that uh, That we need to reach that we feel like maybe we're not reaching as well uh, today and want to reach more and get our brand out there Um, so we think about those things, and uh, if you think about the, the WNBA, it's, it's certainly it's an organ. It's the largest um, women's professional sport organization in the U.S., and uh, it's growing. And uh, you know, over fifty percent of our customer base are females, and so uh, you know we're looking to, to get our brand out to the, more and more of the females and, and support what's important to them as well.
0: Let's talk a bit about your own leadership career uh, what's the biggest lesson you learned in your own career through some setback a bad decision you made a relationship that went awry because of your lack of maturity is there something that you might be willing to be vulnerable and share you know this happened i owned it and i learned a lesson from it that millions of people that are going to be listening and viewing this could say wow that's good advice thank you for sharing I'll be sure to do that differently when I'm faced with that situation.
1: You know, I think my, my biggest uh, leadership uh, challenge, I think, has been, and it, it was just one incident. I wish it was just one incident and, uh, and that uh, I learned from the first time. But I think uh, through my passion, and, uh, and I think a lot of us have passion, uh, sometimes uh, we let our emotions get the best of us. And I have, uh, throughout my career, especially my earlier days, uh, let that happen. Uh, and it certainly is not the way I wanted to lead. Um, and so I looked around me um, for people that I admired who handled situations of, of stress or something they were excited about, wanted to get going faster, whatever that might be, where the emotions uh, started to take over. And I started to model myself uh, a little bit after some of these folks, and, and these folks were um, people that I worked with, or people that uh, friends of mine, um, or people that I read about. And uh, I think that was for me the, the biggest um, hurdle for me to connect uh, with our people and to and to not um, make them feel uncomfortable. Because um, I, I can get uh, I can get very excited uh, about things, and uh, so you know I would say that taking time to think before you react um, a lot's coming at you, especially when you're new in a in a new leadership role. There are a lot of new things that are coming at you, and people are wanting answers, and there and Sometimes it's best to say, you know, let me just think about that. Let me ponder something and let me get back to you. Um, instead of having that uh, feeling that you have to react yeah. at that very moment. Uh, the key is following up when that happens and making sure that you follow up fairly quickly. But but just taking that breath and and thinking through things and not letting the emotions force you to react um, in a way that you don't want to be seen.
0: That was beautifully said. Our 25 year plus long CEO, Bob Whitman, who recently moved from being executive chairman now to chairman of our board, used to have a phrase that haunts me in a positive way. And Bob would say, thinking is a legitimate business activity. And I think that's so profound because in a world of a focus on activity, and trying to look productive and momentum and distraction, that sometimes it's best just to close your door and put your feet up on your desk and think about what you should be doing differently, what you're doing right, who should you be counseling. I love this idea that thinking is a legitimate business activity. And it it also provides a bit of inoculation from people like you and I that may have a bias to action or maybe some of our emotions get the best of us or we feel pressure to make a decision in a world that values, you know, quick responsiveness and immediate answers and such. So, very wisely said. Okay, second question. It's called The Hot Seat with Scott. It's a new game I'm starting right now. I'd like you to think of what your superpower is that's unique to you, and when overplayed, no doubt that becomes a liability, because all of our strengths, if overplayed, become a weakness. Is there something that you do that is like your competitive advantage. It's unique to you. Others may have it, but you know it's your superpower. And occasionally, you overplay it, and it may become a weakness for you. What would that look like?
1: Yeah, I would say the the, the first thing that comes to mind on that is, um, along with, uh, it plays off the emotion piece. Um, I wear my I wear my emotions on my sleeve, and I think and uh, I think people. I'm very transparent. Um, uh, I'm not afraid to, to to share my own faults with people if I can help them uh, grow from those things, uh, and I speak from the heart a lot. Um, so I think though that sometimes that can be overplayed, uh, and uh, you're not seen as a potentially a, a strong enough leader. Uh, but I I I do believe that uh, everybody you work with especially as a leader, they want to know you're a real person and they want to feel your heart. Not, not only seeing your mind, but they want to feel your heart as well. And, uh, and so I think that is my strength. Uh, but there are times, I mean, people will tell you, uh, I do uh, get emotional and cry a fair amount, uh, generally out of joy, uh, at different company events and, and things that we do. So, um, you know, I just feel so proud of, of our people, what they're doing, how they're doing it. And it just, it overwhelms me. Um, and, uh, it's just an honor and a privilege to, to have such wonderful people choosing to be a part of our organization because they, they chose to be here the day they started and they are choosing to be here every day since. So, um, I think those are the kinds of things that, that, uh, are my strengths, but also can be my fault.
0: You know, I want to pay you a compliment there because I'm guessing most people aren't born and come out of the womb thinking, you know what my lifelong goal is, is to be in the tire business. I'm guessing you have to be really thoughtful around how you attract and retain talent because you're a business that's providing a great service. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit um, maybe arcanely, one one of the things I'm most proud of in my life is that I think I'm a really great provider for my family. Uh, my, my wife is a full-time stay-at-home mom to our three children. She could work, she chooses not to. And so I'm the sole provider economically. One of the things that I'm really proud of is that we put new snow tires on our three cars every other year. It's a, a bit of a luxury, it's a huge expense, but you know, there's nothing more harrowing than living in Salt Lake City, Utah with two feet of snow on the highway and you got three kids in your car. So I actually take great pride and that I make sure my wife and our three boys are in the safest car that I can afford with the best tires. And it really brings a huge stress, I think, off our family. I take great pride in that. So I'm passionate about tires, oddly.
1: Well, I appreciate your passion.
0: It's true, though. It's true, and it's a big expense for us every other year, buying, you know, sets of tires. But how do you make something perhaps as boring as a tire take no offense? How do you make that an appealing value proposition for employees to come and stay, stay and thrive, stay and stay and you know build a culture in the organization? I don't mean to call your product boring, but you know, it's not you know it's not donuts, which are more exciting, maybe barely. <laughs> Talk to me about how you build a culture where people choose to get passionate about tires.
1: Yeah, I, you know, it, it comes. You mentioned it. It's it's safety. Um, you know we we talk about with our people and we empower them when a customer comes in, make sure that you 've empowered them enough so that they would leave they are safer than when they came in yes and and you know we unfortunately get to hear about and see within our industry um what happens when people don't take care of their tires, um, the accidents that happen, the things that none of us would want to experience or have anybody that we we care about. Uh, experience, so you know our people are passionate about that and sharing um, what makes a tire safe. Uh, when a tire is is not safe, what the consequences could be, and and sharing and empowering that with our customer. In fact, you know within our industry, um, most most of the industry has been selling product without really providing real detail, real information about it's the tire's actual performance, one versus another, or when it's worn or not worn, the difference that that, that performance in that tire creates, and especially around safety. So uh, we decided uh, about uh, a little over 10 years ago that, and, uh, that we were going to test all the tires that we market. And... Uh, So we do that. We have an independent uh, tire test uh, organization test all the tires that we sell. We gather data on that. We gather data on how uh, tires are performing in the real world by when our customers come in for service, um, measuring tread depths and and watching wear and all that. And we capture all that data. And we put together something what what we call Treadwell, which allows the customer, this this program, to uh, actually see how a tire performs. on their vehicle, in their community, uh, what's happening? Because it it is different in different parts of the country based on weather or types of roads uh, that that are out there. Um, and so our people get passionate about that, and uh, and being able to tell that story yeah. in a way that our competitors just don't. Um, so I think that's been an important part. Uh, but I think it also comes back to community, that sense of making dreams come true with family, and um, You know, as leaders, you know, our store managers uh, run a store generally with 20 to 30 different employees. And uh, it's, they're just not their employees. They become family. And their role uh, as a manager is to develop their people to achieve their dreams, to ensure that that they're being coached, mentored, that their roles and responsibilities are clearly understood, that, that, uh, that they're getting everything they need. They're getting fed so that they can grow, get promoted, and achieve whatever dreams that they have in their lives. And so, so much of what we do, it becomes uh, more and more like family. And uh, I think that's really the big secret to our, our success. You know, people don't leave uh, their companies necessarily, they leave their management. And so, if that community is tight and people feel that they really, their management really cares about them and really wants to help them achieve their goals and, uh, and is there for them in good times and bad times, uh, why leave? Uh, and I think that's been a big part of our success.
0: Michael, now that I've offended you and your many employees about how boring tires are, but I've also redeemed myself because I buy so many from you because of the safety issue. In fact, I once interviewed General McChrystal, the famous four-star general, and he said that, you know, in the military, you never get credit for the battles that go right. You only own the ones that go wrong. And so I'm guessing it's also... A tough value proposition for all the times cars don't have accidents and don't have to change tires versus the ones that do. So it's one of the reasons why I'm such a great customer. I want to avoid what goes wrong. Uh, Let's talk about the process of tires because I think most people don't know how a tire is made. And I'd like to talk about it for a moment. Can you give us like a two-minute understanding of how a tire is made and how it gets through the supply chain? I'm guessing it's made through substances found in the Middle East originally, or something. So tell us about how tires are made.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the largest component of, t- of tires is is rubber or or petroleum-based substances. Um, and 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 then there's also uh, in there there's some metal and the steel belts um, as well. But uh, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the uh, product comes from. From largely uh, Southeast Asia, as far as the rubber comes from, uh, from there, um, and then there's other products like um, carbon black, which is uh, is really what makes the tire black. Rubber is generally white. Um, if we didn't add carbon black to it, one of the things that we we would have white tires. And if you go back in time, you you saw tires were white in, in some of the older cars. Uh, that usually, uh, unfortunately, comes from places like Ukraine and, and Russia. So that's been a, a challenge for the, for the industry. Um, and then and then tires are made all over the world. Uh, we have lots of uh, tire manufacturing going on here in the states, um, in Asia, and in in Europe. Um, and you've got manufacturers. Uh, Continental is German. Goodyear is an American. Cooper's American. Uh, those are some of the bigger bigger names. Um, and they have production, um, you know, all over the world, and uh, so you're you're bringing in product from all over the world, which uh, you know during COVID and everything else was certainly a challenge, like everybody else's supply chains. Uh, being one of the larger retailers, I think that we had a little bit uh, more leverage to to get the product than maybe some, so uh, we fared pretty well. Um, but the, the, the process of, of making it is, you know, it's, it's very uh, capital intensive. The equipment that's required to, to take that rubber and, and that steel and, and make it into a tire is, is very capital intensive. And, uh, and, and producing a tire uh, is much like cooking uh, cookies. You know, you generally don't like to bake one or two cookies at a time. You, you, you bake a dozen uh, on a whole cookie sheet. And so uh, in that production run that they will have, they'll make lots and lots of the same tires and there are some types of tires that um, they're just not a lot of demand for so they'll they'll make those and then they'll you know put them into the supply chain and then they won't make them for another year or two so if they run out, uh, getting those kinds of tires can be challenging and if you are a, a somebody who has a um, maybe a sports car or um, some other type of exotic vehicle, uh, getting tires becomes a little bit more challenging. And, and uh, our company tire that we have specializes in in, um, in those kinds of products to make sure that, that we have them um, available for our consumers. But those are, those are a little bit of the background on, on tire making. I could go on a lot no, longer. No, no, it was very helpful. I appreciate time. it.
0: It's, it's always interesting to hear the backstory behind, you know, how stuff you see in a store that goes on your, on your car. I'm guessing with 1,150 plus stores, you are in possession of tens of millions of tires annually that have to be discarded. As you know, everyone is more concerned about the environmental impact of our, of our footprint. No matter, no matter your politics, I think everyone is trying to do some level of improving their own game, what happens to all the tires that get left on the millions and millions of cars that you service every year?
1: Yeah, I think it's a it's a very important topic. Um, you know, it depends on where you are in the country. Uh, what happens to the tires? Uh, each state basically has their own program, and and many of the states, you know, there's a fee that that's charged on many states for um, that we have to collect on behalf of the states for. Um, the tires on disposal. Unfortunately, a lot of times that those fees don't go to actually helping tire disposal, they go end up being be rated for the general funds of the state, so um, it, it has become a real challenge. Uh, there there are a few uh, really good companies out there that um, take this seriously and and do a lot to make sure that these tires um, are handled appropriately. and and. Like in Arizona, for example, um, a lot of the, the tires are crumbed and uh, put back into the asphalt um, and uh, into the roads. And, uh, and that's been a, a big use of them. Um, if, if a tire uh, uh, can also be broken down, there's you know, newer, newer technologies that allow us to break down the components of a tire, like take all the steel out, uh, recycle that. Um, the tire uh, companies are, are doing a better job of being able to take uh, some of these materials, the, the rubber um, compounds, and reuse them in tires as well. Uh, that's been a big push and a lot of development and technologies being used to extract more of the rubber out of the tire to be used back into the tires. There are lots of other products that are out there that uh, tires are, are used um, to help make, whether. Um, that's car mats or, uh, any other type of rubber products that don't have, don't need a real high quality, uh, long lasting, um, rubber, um, that the products get used for. But, you know, it is something that as a, as a retailer that of, of many tires that we push the industry on and try to support, um, the new developments in and how we can, recycle, recapture the the rubbers uh, and the other uh, chemicals and components to be reused. And that's really the push in the industry today.
0: Michael, has the rise of electronic cars um, changed the impact on the tire business? Do do, um, electric vehicles use less wear and tear on tires, different types of tires? How do you see the rise of electric vehicles impacting the tire business, positively or negatively?
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, first of all, um, electric vehicles are heavier than the, than the, uh, combustion, uh, vehicles and they have a lot more torque. It's like when you flick a light switch on its immediate power. So, and when you step on the accelerator of your electric vehicle, it has a lot of torque that goes to the, to the rear wheels or the wheels that are being driven. Um, and as a result of that weight, And that added torque actually tires on electric vehicles do wear about 20 to 30% faster than they do on um, conventional combustion uh, vehicles. So, uh, you know, the tire companies are all trying to figure out how to deal with that. And and largely based on what they know today, that's to make the the tire a little bit uh, 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 harder rubber which doesn't necessarily provide necessarily all the safety, uh, stopping distance and wet, and those types of things that that are important also. So there's some trade-offs, and uh, I think they're, they're working through those things, but as of today, largely because of the weight and that torque, those those tires um, don't quite last as long.
0: I'll pay you a compliment. You've made the conversation of tires quite compelling and interesting, and <laughs> so I appreciate your time today. Uh, Michaels Weibach, you are the former CEO and now executive chairman of Discount Tires. Appreciate your time today joining us on our podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Scott. And uh, thank you to you and your organization there. You guys have been uh, wonderful partners with us as we look to uh, become better leaders uh, ourselves within our organization.
0: Like all of the uh, thousands of clients around the world that invest in our content, we're grateful to you on this commission of creating great workplaces where we can live our values and people can build their dreams, their own dreams, through also their employers as well. Appreciate you and all those at Discount Tire. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-suite.